Uh, we are going to be continuing our Encountering Jesus series uh, in a slightly different way this week. Our plan was for this week always to be an off-series, one-off preach. But as the week came closer, uh, we realized that what we've been thinking and planning wasn't quite going to fit. And um, there I was scheduled to preach, and so I had the freedom to choose. And really just on the back of a wonderful evening uh, two weeks ago when uh, I was appointed into eldership and we had Paul Mann with us, he brought such a significant prophetic word for us, other words that came as well, that I just thought it'd be great for us to share something of our story uh, and link it in with those prophetic words for us as a church for, as it were, our story. So... My story starts in Godston Road, Whiteleaf, where I was born and brought up. At the age of 12, I went to school in Old Causton, and one of my friends invited me to a youth and archery club, which just happened to be based in Whiteleaf. It was run by Whiteleaf United Free Church, and having uh, not been brought up as a Christian in a Christian environment, I, I, I had no idea. It was all new to me. But there was something about those people and something that they had that I knew I didn't have. And I probably heard the gospel several times, uh, but one particular time, funnily enough, at an August bank holiday camp, um, when I resisted an invitation to respond. But back home, I clearly remember sitting on my bed, committing my life to Jesus. And that was my first major encounter with Jesus. And I was probably about 14 or 15 years old. My turn. Hang on. Um, I'm the complete opposite, not only because I'm female and he's male, but I was brought up in a Christian family, and not only in a Christian family, but a family that had been at the church, um, my grandfather and my great-grandfather before him, as far as I know, and it could have been even longer ago than that, but I can only go back two generations. Um, I moved to, well, with my family, moved to Whiteleaf when I was four. Um, but prior to that, I was born in Red Hill Hospital, which isn't in the same place now, and um, my parents used to be at Whiteleaf United Free Church. So not only did we go to the same church, eventually, um, but we were also at the same primary school and junior school, but we didn't really, you know, know each other. <laughs> Just one of those things. Um, being part of a Christian family in back in the day meant it was a busy Sunday. I used to be at morning Sunday school at half past 10, morning church at 11 o'clock, We'd dash home, have dinner, be at Sunday school for three o'clock in the afternoon, dash home, have tea, be back at church for six o'clock. And then as I got a bit older, then there was an evening youth meeting after church. So Sunday was jam-packed. It was out, 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 in, meet, quick meal, out, 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 in meal, <laughs> quick meal, out again. Um, that was my Sundays. And I used to think, what a, you know, day of rest, ha, ha. <laughs> But there you go. Um, one of the things, as Kevin said, it, there was archery for the boys, but for the girls, there was what used to be called the Girls' Life Brigade. I don't know if it's still in existence. 
Um, and so all the girls used to go to the Girls' Life Brigade. So I went along and had a great big arm full of badges, which my dad used to very kindly tell me, it's all because of your mother. Nothing, nothing to do with me. Um, it's all your mother. She's got them all. I'm thinking, oh, thanks, you know, really helpful. Anyway, one of the things in the teen, when I was a teenager, um, I don't, and I don't know what it is, this, 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 the setting of it, but we went to away after Christmas for a week. I don't know whether it was a weekend or what it was, whether it was um, for sergeants or, you know, those in authority in the, in the Girls' Life Brigade. But I was away from home. And it was a great time. Um, but we sung a hymn, and it's annoying me that I can't even remember what it was, but it was written by somebody who they told you afterwards, after we'd sung the hymn, that they believed that Jesus would return on the 31st of December. And it was the 31st of December that we sung this hymn. And I'd, I hadn't really um, thought about not become, being a Christian, I just thought I was a Christian. You know, you get people who sort of say, we, some people can never remember the exact day, time, and whatever. And I thought, well, that's one, that's, I'm one of them. I just can't remember when it was I accepted Jesus. And that night, I remember going to bed, and I lay there going to, trying to go to sleep, and I couldn't. My brain was just turning it and turning it. What if this 31st of December is the one? What if there isn't a 1st of January? And I used to think, if it is all right. It, it wouldn't happen. And you're okay. You're, you're on the right side. And it just kept going and going and going. And in the end, I thought, I, I don't know that I would be. I, I think I might be on the... I don't think I've done what I should have done. I don't think I've given my life to Jesus as, as I'm supposed to have done. And I remember just laying there thinking, and that all these, you know, you get these cross thoughts. You think, no, it's not going to happen. Yeah, but mm. it might. You don't know it. No, yes, no, yeah. And you think, oh, I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> And I want to wake up on the 1st of January. But I might not. Well, I might wake up, but I, would I be in heaven? Or will I not be in heaven? Will I be sitting against the judgment seat of God? And no, I'm not. You're, you're with everybody that way. And I thought, I don't, I don't want to do that. There's no way. I want, to be, I want to be with the saints. I want to be praising him. That's, that's where I want to be. And I remember just saying, okay, I give in. I don't know what this means, but I want to accept you into my life. And guess what? There was a 1st of January. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they were our individual stories. And then several years later, Liz and I became friends. We fell in love and decided to get married, which just happens to be 41 years ago tomorrow. And so began our story. We were part of the church, we had various responsibilities, but Liz felt that it was a good opportunity to consider moving out and moving on. And we were in the early days of pressing into the things of the Spirit, although the church was not. And that could have been a reason for developing our journey elsewhere. But we didn't feel any particular direction from God, nor any release from him to leave, to leave. In fact, God seemed quite silent on the matter. So we stayed. We bought a house in Catrum and settled into being a couple serving in the church. I don't remember exactly when, but over a year and under two years after we were married, 
God gave me a vision. I think it's probably the only vision I've ever had. It was quite simple. I was standing at the front of the main room at the Whiteleaf Church, their sort of auditorium, and it just conveyed to me that God was calling me into leadership. And that started a journey of discovery for us. What did it mean? What should we do? Where should we go? And soon after, God spoke to us through a verse in 2 Kings. In chapter 19 and verse 29, let me read it to you. Then this shall be the sign for you. You will eat this year what grows of itself. In the second year, what springs from the same. And in the third year, sow, reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And that gave us a time frame. Two years and then something new from year three. So during those two years, we did lots of talking, lots of praying, lots of traveling, lots of researching, lots of listening, until we decided with uh, confirmation from trusted friends that the next step for us was Bible college. And so in year three, we started at Moreland's Bible College. We sold our house in Catrum, moved to Christchurch in Dorset with Claire, who was then just three months old. And looking back, it's interesting to see that we, um, when God was silent, we didn't move. And when God spoke, we did move. We weren't always so naturally obedient, as you will hear in a little while. But that was probably our first major encounter with Jesus as a married couple. We had a great time at Moreland's. We, we learned a lot. We experienced more. We made good friends. Uh, we went deeper in knowing God, in trusting God, in believing God, praying, serving, worshipping. And you'd hope that we would have had our ears more finely tuned to know God's voice. But sadly, that wasn't the case. While at college, we often referred to ourselves as being like the Muppets because we had no visible means of support. We were there trusting God for our finances and every provision, one of which came from a previous experience uh, of mine as an accountant. The chairman of the Board of Governors of Moreland's was also senior partner of a local firm of accountants in Bournemouth. And one day I told him that his firm probably couldn't manage without me helping them during the vacations. And he said, well, we've done pretty well up till now, um, but graciously offered me a job uh, in the next vacation. And that became a pattern for us. Every vacation, uh, I was employed by a local uh, firm of accountants. And uh, you know what it's like when you come to the end of something, people say, well, what's next? What are you going to do? Well, it was like that at Moreland's. Uh, so towards the end of our final year, my final year, uh, students would be going out visiting churches with pastoral opportunities. They'd be looking at mission societies for ideas for serving abroad or maybe parachurch organizations looking for freshly inspired students. And so I was asked, what are you going to do? And I said, 
I don't know. And in that sort of environment, you can't get away with, I don't know. Uh, because people say, oh, well, you know, you're a, you're a really good people person. You make a good pastor or, you know, you do really well with young people. You make a great youth pastor or a youth leader. And uh, you, know, you think, well, maybe, I'm not sure. And when you express doubt, they give you more ideas. You know, well, if you're not so sure, maybe you should be an assistant pastor, you know, and just, you know, not go for the whole... And, well, maybe with youth responsibilities, you know, that would be good. And guess what? In that strange church, college, Christian world, an ad appears for an assistant pastor with responsibilities for youth. At a church in Tankerton, in, Tent, in Kent, you may never have heard of Tankerton. We hadn't. So we apply. And we're offered to come for a weekend. Now, around that time, the chairman of the Board of Governors of the firm that I'd been working with in my vacation approached me, and he said, would you like a full-time job when you finish college? And I said, no, 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 because by then, I'm, I'm already on my way to Kent. I said, no, no, we're destined for higher things. So he said, fine, you know, great, good for you. So we had our weekend in Tankerton, and we discovered a nice, friendly church with a good youth group godly leaders, and they're beginning to grapple with the challenge of leading a church into the things of the Spirit. And we had the opportunity to explain something of where we were on that journey and how there seemed to be a real connection between us that we may be able to help them in that area. And we came away really encouraged. A few weeks later, I was away at Pilgrim Hall with Mike Frisby, who was our lead elder at Christchurch, and several other New Frontiers church leaders, although then it was called Coastlands. Um, and I phoned home, no mobiles then, uh, from the payphone in the lobby and caught up with Liz, and she said she'd received a letter from the church in Tankerton. I said, oh, and she read it out, and it said, we think you will be too much of a catalyst for the things of the Holy Spirit, and we're not yet ready for that, so thanks, but no thanks. Now, they said it very nicely, and it was like a two-page letter, but that was essentially it. I didn't quite know what to do or say. I, I, I felt a bit like the rabbit caught in the headlights, you know, frozen to the spot, too shocked to move. And I finished the call with Liz, and I thought, I need to get away and find somewhere quiet just to sit and think. But the next session was just about to start, and the phone was just outside the door, and I sort of got carried into the room where the next session was starting. And it was being led by a guy called Henry Tyler, who was an elder with Terry Virgo in um, Brighton, in the Clarendon Church, which became CCK and then became now Emmanuel. I don't remember much of the meeting, but at one point, Henry said, just turn to the person next to you and pray with them. And I don't know whether you've ever had this uh, happen to you, but when someone says that, you turn, and that person has turned that way. <laughs> and so you then turn like that, and that person has already turned that way. And you're sort of left stranded. And there I was, face to face with Henry, who was leading the meeting. And he said, oh, let's pray together. What's happening with you? Let me pray for you. And he did. And while he was praying for me, 
There was a moment he just took my face in his hands and he said, just stay where you are. Get stuck in where you are. And it may have been Henry's hands and voice, but it was definitely an encounter with Jesus, clear and concise. So we stayed in Christchurch. Mike was very happy to have us remain in the church, especially as my third year at college had been a split year and working with the church. But I needed to find a job. So I then had to have a slightly awkward an embarrassing conversation with the senior partner of the firm of accountants. He was very kind, although he did say, I thought you were off to, you know, anyway. But he offered me a job and uh, I stayed there all the while we were living in Christchurch. We bought a house, uh, moved in, Claire, age three by then, Tim was just under two, and the following year Simon was born. And apart from the usual sleeplessness associated with newborn babies, they were all very unsettled. And not only at night, Claire uh, had taken to screaming and banging her head on the floor when she didn't get her own way, which wasn't ideal because we only had very thin carpets or in fact just floorboards. And she often had a red patch on her head. We talked to friends, we prayed, but nothing seemed to change. And then someone mentioned to us that the house had history. And we investigated and found it had been used as a brothel and associated with drug abuse. So we asked Mike and a friend called Roger if they would come one evening after the children had gone to bed and pray around the house. We had a wonderful, wonderful time with them. They prayed in some rooms, they prophesied in others, and we were hugely encouraged. The children were settled from that moment on, and Claire never once banged her head again in anger. I can't say exactly what happened that night, but I'm reminded of what Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 10 when he sent them out. He said this, Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. It felt to us like the kingdom of God had come and we experienced the peace of God because Jesus came to our house. Our move from Christchurch came in a very unexpected way. Mike Frisby, our elder, returned from two days of prayer with other church leaders, and he told me he'd put my name forward for a job with New Frontiers. They'd announced that they were looking for an accountant, and was there anyone in, the ch in their churches who uh, might be interested? He assured me he wasn't trying to get rid of us, but he felt it might be a good move. Uh, the rest, they say, is history. But certainly, as soon as I heard the detail of the job, I knew it was for me. We moved to Brighton, and then after 19 years, we moved to Hastings, and after seven years, we moved here. And that was, would you believe, nearly four years ago. 
I, I don't want to pick out or highlight anything, particularly from those years, not because we didn't encounter Jesus during that time, but nothing really springs out as being especially relevant as we move on to focus on the prophetic words we receive. But also, one of those words makes reference to those years in a way that I found very revealing, and we'll come to that in a moment. Our encounters with Jesus took various forms, some with a silent heaven, others with Bible verses, others still with different people involved. The key for me, looking back on those I've mentioned, is recognizing what is from God, from what is pride, what is personal desire, and what is just plain information. You will have seen that this series that we're on, Encountering Jesus, has a tagline, old stories, new stories. We want the stories we read of different people encountering Jesus to stimulate new stories amongst us as we reach out in mission and the people we meet encounter Jesus through us. So having talked about our old stories, I want to move on to some of the prophetic words we receive that suggest God has some new stories for us. And when I say us, I don't mean us as a couple, but us as a church. And I don't see it as insignificant that Izzy shared what's happening with her and talked about her new story today and even something of her older story. I believe it's part of what God is doing amongst us. You should have had a handout or, or found one on your chair. If you haven't had one, uh, wave your hand and uh, one of the stewards will bring one to you. Uh, it's, it's headed, Encountering Jesus, Our Story, and then Prophetic Words. And as we go through these, I want you to realize that although these words were given to me at my eldership appointment, they were words for us, the church. Have that sheet to hand. But first, let me mention two other prophetic words that I've been given. One from a lady called Sarah, who's on staff at Hastings Church, given during a prayer meeting when they were praying for us, knowing that we were coming here as we were moving from there to here in Oxted. And the other from Carrie, during a discipleship group that we were both involved in uh, earlier last year. The one from Sarah was this. She, she'd already given me one picture, and then she said, the other picture was a strange one. She, she said, it was of you standing with one foot in a large cup. The thought came into my mind was someone looking in the cup and saying, why are you standing in my cup? You're not my cup of tea. And she said, I know that sounds horrible, but I felt God say that your experience from the past is that you are not everybody's cup of tea. And that's not your fault. I felt God say that you are more than capable of many things. And although that can be such a blessing, people don't always understand and you haven't always felt blessed. He has something waiting for you that will fit you perfectly. There won't be any more discomfort and having to put up with gloves that don't fit perfectly. She says, I could see this massive black glove that looks strong on the outside, 
made with the finest leather, but beautifully soft sheepskin inside. I could see you laughing as you put your hand in it, saying, this is amazing. I can't believe how comfortable it fits. And then from Carrie, she was looking in Exodus, and it says, so all the work of the tabernacle, the tent of the meeting, was completed. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. And a few verses later, right at the end of the chapter, the Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that it had been done just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. And she said, it's a sense of being a season of preparation for something, just like the tabernacle had been prepared, and now it's prepared and ready. It's like the preparation, preparation work has been done, and you are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. And it's like all the furnishing and preparation has been done, and it's completed just as God had wanted it to be, and now it's ready for action. And around that time last year, God reminded me of those verses from two kings that he'd given us way back in Whiteley, 40 years previously. Let me read them again, 2 Kings 19, 29. This shall be a sign for you. You will eat this year what grows of itself, in the second year what springs from the same, and in the third year sow, reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And it seemed to me that God interpreted differently to, to how he had previously. It was as though the years were actually periods of our life. The first being Brighton, the second Hastings. And I shared with Dale and Tim that I thought our time here at Oxted was to be that third period that spoke of fruitfulness. Now let's look at the prophetic words from my eldership appointment evening. And let me just say thank you to everyone who was able to join us on that evening. It was a wonderful time. We felt so supported, truly supported, and really, really encouraged. So we appreciate that. Thank you so much. I mean, I've put, and they're not all the prophetic words on here. I've just picked out some. I'm happy to share all of them with you. There was nothing, as it were, in that sense, private. They're all given publicly. Uh, but I felt these were this first one from Steve, I felt was the one that referred back to uh, the previous years and how I'd felt about them. And he says just in that second line, I sense that maybe people are aware of your ability to order and organize and administrate things, things that can be straightened out and clarified and prepared for, processes, processes that can be refined. But he says, I sense perhaps... There's a part of you that has never quite felt as plugged into a local church as you thought you would be. And as he said that, it just almost captured everything that I've been feeling over the previous couple of years. That sense of, you're not my cup of tea. You know, that sense of not quite fitting. And he says, as passionate as you are about the local church, and I am. And that part of you is meant to be. And at times that has seemed, what's the matter with that? Why don't I feel as engaged as I should be? Why hasn't that quite landed? It's because that part of you is that faith part that's already been spoken of that is going to cause to bring the church into an yet unseen area. And it was interesting, that link between not being plugged in and faith for the unseen, that sense of, What's going to happen next? I'll let you read the rest of it. 
And then it was lovely, really lovely, to have our two boys there on the evening, but also to bring prophetic words. It's the first time they've done that with us. And that's not the reason I've put them in there, but they were short and succinct and really show this push forward. Simon, we love fam films in our house, so it was no great surprise that Simon referred to Back to the Future 3, where Marty and Doc are on the train at the end of the movie, and they've got these bundles, and they're going to put them on the furnace. And he says, I feel that God's saying, this isn't the end of your journey. It's not like retirement. Right now, he's putting one of those bundles into your spirit, into the fire. And what happens in the movie is that the bundle gets on the fire, and the train just suddenly jumps forward, and it gets faster. And there's something that's going to happen to Dad. I don't know what it is, but he's doing something in you. This isn't just like a commission or like a post that you're going to take up and you just kind of dawdle along. There's something that's going to happen in your spirit and God's going to set fire to you and you're going to jump forward at great pace. And then immediately after Tim spoke and said, on the back of that, God is saying, trust me. I know that sounds so basic. But off the back of that, there's something that's going to happen. He's saying, trust me. I want to challenge you. I want to push you. I've got big plans for you. This is like a big adventure. Something's going to kick off. And I want you to trust me. Put your faith in me. And I will look after you. And then, although it wasn't in this order, Paul Mann brought this last word before these others. But I I wanted to, as it were, bring this towards the end. And there are three sections to what Paul shared. First, the verses of Scripture from Isaiah 54. And then the second section, which is more about what he felt God was saying. And then the third section on the back page, you'll see, is much bigger than the rest. And really, that's almost him interpreting that word for us as a church. Let me read some of that. Let me read the verses from Isaiah 54. Jerusalem, sing. You are now like a woman who never had a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who never had labor pains. You are now all alone, but you will have more children than a woman who still has a husband, says the Lord. Make a large area for your tent. Spread out its curtains. Go ahead and make your tent wider. Make its ropes longer. Drive the stakes down deeper. You will spread out to the right and the left. Your children after you will drive out the nations that are now living in your land. They will make their homes in the deserted cities of those nations. And Paul said, I just got a sense that God wanted to say, that is what is happening today, that day when he was praying. It's all about blessing, growth, expansion. He said, Dale and Tim were like the two hefty tent poles. And you, we, the church, you're like the canvas and the guy ropes that come out from it, spread to the left and the right. And he said, what's happening this evening on that night two, two weeks ago is that we're getting another tent pole driven into the ground will bring strength and security and stretch you out further than you've been before with a sense of blessing both spiritually in discipleship and growth and new giftings emerging, but also numerically 
as well as seeing salvations and people added into your midst. That's what we put in our vision plan coming up for three years ago. One of the markers in that vision plan was sort of down the list. You know, there was doubling in church, increasing the number of life groups, uh, and so on. But increasing eldership was one of those markers. And I don't think we thought that would be the first one. But it feels like that's God's timing. And this growth and development is coming. And then he goes on to say, the Lord God says, I will bless you. I will expand you. I will prosper you. And then he says, just that sense of applying it into the church. As I said before, elders aren't supposed to do all the ministry, for they create an environment where the church can flourish as each person does its part. And then that last section is really an expansion, a development of that, as he goes on to explain. He refers to the four areas, the four main headings that we put in that vision document, building the church, sharing the gospel, serving the community, and reaching the nations. And he says, I believe this is a season for you, King's Church, to step into those things with a fresh energy, a fresh passion. He says, when it comes to building the church, I love this bit, every time you have someone round for a meal, every time you do life group and you come alongside and pray for someone, I am building the church, I am making a difference. You know, I've read that section, I've listened to that section rather several times. And when Paul says, I am building the church, I am making the difference, it can, be lit, uh, it can be heard two ways. And it's like every time you do this, every time you pray, every time you invite someone around for a meal, every time you do life group, God says, I am building the church. I am making a difference. But it also can be read that every time you do that, you can say with confidence, I am building the church. I am making a difference. And then he goes on to talk about Serving the community, reaching the nations. We've <laughs> is he reaching the nations? And also, he says, what you do with people in your location from the nations. Maybe God will open up opportunities there for us. And then he says, I really feel this is an opportunity for you here in Oxted, where God wants to, in a sense, release more for you. And then right at the end, he says, what is God going to do as the eldership strengthens? The church is blessed. Communities are reached. That is our prayer for these days ahead. And as I close, I just want to read something. Uh, Liz and I went to a Thanksgiving service last week in Hastings. Uh, a friend of ours had died. And his widow read this as part of the Thanksgiving service. They had come across it a couple of years before, several years before, and had pledged, with God's help, to live their lives in the way that this is uh, stated. You'll understand as I read it. It tells of a young man from Rwanda who was forced by his tribe in 1980 to renounce Christ or face death. He refused to renounce Christ, 
and was murdered on the spot. The night before, he had written this, and it was found in his room. He says, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognised, praised, regarded or rewarded. I now live by presence, learn by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, labour by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, diluted or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, back up, let up, shut up until I've preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns, give until I drop, preach until all know and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognising me. My colours will be clear, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Amazing words. As I read them, I want to own them and say, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ and I want to live my life that way.